0: What's up? Welcome to another episode of the Oakland Warriors podcast. This is Patrick flying solo. I just finished watching that Warriors Kings game on TNT. And the first thing I actually want to talk about is the the broadcast. I guess they're doing the remote recording thing uh, because of the pandemic and they're working out the, the kinks, but it's kind of a trip, right? Like, basically, Kevin Harlan and Grant Hill felt like they were just at home, you know? (laughs) And uh, for, like, half the game, Kevin Harlan's audio was... He sounded like AM radio. Like, he was, like, muffled. Grant Hill sounded good. uh, But it was a little distracting. But, you know, we're all working out the kinks in every aspect of our lives, I suppose. It reminded me of like those Telemundo soccer games that I remember from the 90s. I don't know if they continued into the new millennium, but where they would pretty much just be watching different games on TVs and recording play-by-play audio for, for TV remotely. But they fixed Harlan's audio somewhere in the third quarter, and I was very, very appreciative of that. On to the game. Steph looked good. Steph looks like he's good to go, getting to the bucket. I think it's kind of unfair when people say Steph missed a ton of games and he has a problem staying healthy. It's not like he has recurring knee injuries or anything like that. He just had a freak hand injury and nerve issues. So hopefully he can make it through this whole season, the majority of it, with rest in the compacted schedule. But I think I think he looked pretty good. his three point shot wasn't falling, but he was adjusting and getting to the bucket and making his two point shot so that's 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 always a good sign. I guess the only issue would be if for some reason unknown to us that there's still a nerve issue in that hand that he broke. but I really don't wanna speculate on that. That's his left hand his shooting hand is his right hand. I'm going to think positive thoughts for once and assume that his hand is good to go and he's just kind of getting his legs and getting his rhythm, not worry about stuff for the regular season. Some quick notes about the Sacramento Kings, just observations watching them. Uh, Halliburton looks good, you know, like there was part of me that thought that the Warriors should maybe trade the Minnesota pick for 2021 and get a second pick in the lottery, the most recent lottery, and take Halliburton. I mean, the dude dropped to, what, 12, I think? But when you watch him out there, he just knows how to play. He has, like, those intangibles. He's a smart player, and I think he's going to be a good pickup for the Kings. I think he'll be in the Rookie of the Year conversation. He projects a kind of savviness on the court, which... uh, I wish, I wish uh, the Warriors had more dudes like that. Marvin Bagley, man. Every time I see him, I think about the fact that they passed on Luka Doncic just to draft Bagley. I mean, he might be a serviceable NBA player, but I mean, even right now, like the dude, his arms look kind of like my my arms. They look kind of untoned and and, and a little doughy. You know what I mean? Uh, So what will they get out of him? I don't know, but he's not Luka Doncic, and he's also not even Trey Young. So that's going to hurt Kings fans for probably a long time. Uh, De'Aaron Fox, man, that guy is fast as hell. I hope that he takes his game to the next level. I would love to watch a matchup between him and John Morant, two young dudes who are super athletic. Fox has a a good future. Still doesn't mean they shouldn't have drafted uh, Luka, even if they had a point guard. Looking at Hassan Whiteside, um, you know, there were some draft comps for James Wiseman that he was similar to Hassan Whiteside. And looking at Hassan Whiteside, I just think that's totally unfair to Wiseman. No offense to uh, Hassan, but I mean, Wiseman's way more athletic. He's in better shape. He's a skinnier dude. He probably has more skill. I mean, allegedly, I haven't seen it for myself. None of us have yet, but that's just a lazy comp. It was good to see Glenn Robinson III. Uh, I wish the Warriors had picked him up. He was a good dude for us last year. But if it was between him and Bazemore, I'm glad we picked up Bazemore. Bazemore just seems to have a little bit more flair to his game. He's good friends with Steph, of course. And I think he kind of brings a, a certain vibe to the team that maybe the low-key Robinson wouldn't have and didn't last year. And as always, it's good to see HB Harrison Barnes. I'll always like that dude. Of course, the 2016 finals is what Warriors fans really kind of ding him for, and I do too, but uh, he always seemed like a good dude, and he was critical for us in building this dynasty. And what would he have become if, say, the Warriors win the title in 2016 and the whole KD thing doesn't happen? Would he have improved? Would they have just become such a strong system team? Would they have gotten rid of him because they wouldn't have wanted to pay him that much? Who knows? But, you know, watching him, the dude just never really got better. I mean, everybody said he was just kind of a, a technical player who doesn't have too much of an innate feel for the game. And, yeah, you could just see that. He's just basically an old vet now who gets to a handful of spots on the court and shoots his shots from there. So the Warriors lost this game on a last-second three-point shot, which was kind of a bummer, but it's preseason, so who really cares? It was good to see. Afterwards, it seemed like some of the players were actually pissed that they lost. Uh, that's always a good sign. In this game, we didn't have Draymond Green, James Wiseman, or Eric Paschal. Uh, just some observations. I like Kelly Oubre's vibe still. I like him attacking. I wish, I wish uh, Andrew Wiggins would do it more. Uh, some of that laid-back attitude that he has been known for, that he's carried from Minnesota, you, know, you can definitely see it, um, which inherently, you know, if you're chill, <laughs> it doesn't really bother me too much, but it just seems like it equals a lack of assertiveness. But he was solid on D. He tried, it seemed like. He was guarding Bagley a bunch, and sometimes it was good, sometimes not so good. He's still super skinny, regardless of whether or not he put on a couple pounds. You know, I also noticed that Wiggins isn't that great of a passer, uh, and he doesn't feel like a guy that you need a key on when, like, he's part of the second unit with all the subs. For example, in years past, say it was a second unit with. David West and Clay. You always felt that the defense had to keep tabs on Clay and he was the one that was going to light you up, if anyone. When you see Wiggins on the second unit, he kind of just feels like another body out there, just another guy. And you're not like, all right, this is Wiggins' chance to shine, or that this is a moment where the Kings defense really has to lock him down. You know, and his touch wasn't looking that great. He had a couple shots where he just missed really badly or he bricked or he barely scraped rim. But Kerr, in his uh, post-game Q&A conference or whatever, he said that Wiggins is working hard on D and that's what they're having him focus on. So is that just a spin? Or if it's true, hopefully the offense for Wiggins comes around. I mean, he's proven he can score 20 points a game, shoot 33% from three, but is there more that he can do besides just being like a quote-unquote scorer? Can he facilitate more? Can he take advantage of passing lanes? That's what you're really, really hoping to see um, beyond him just putting effort on, on D. Speaking of that second unit, of course, Eric Pascal wasn't playing, so he would add a different dimension to that. Another scorer who can go get a bucket playing bully ball. But right now, that second unit just seems to be missing proven scorers, vets who can knock it down, like David West. I mean, David West, that free throw elbow jumper you always felt was automatic. Clay, when he was in with the second unit... Of course, I mean, whenever he's on the court, you feel like his three-point shots are going to be automatic. You feel like his mid-range game is going to be automatic. But with this team right now, you're like, okay, uh, maybe that shot will go in. Not to pick on Wiggins too much here, but there was one fast break where Steph brought it down, I think, and he kicked it out to Wiggins at the three-point line. In the past, you kick it out to Clay, you're like, oh, yeah, that's it. But you kick it out to Wiggins, and I'm like, that's probably not going to go in. So I think that's kind of the difference uh, that I feel. To reiterate uh, what I said after the Nuggets preseason game, I think Mulder is going to make this team. They just need a guy who's going to hit a three point shot, wanna maker. He shot 36% from three last year, which is good, better than others on the squad. But they're just not going to be as prolific from deep as they were before, so they need as many hands on deck. I mean, hell, if smiley could hit his threes in games consistently, then that might actually be a reason to put him on the court in certain situations. But the real question is, who is going to make other teams pay for doubling Steph? Can Wiggins hit that shot? Can Oubre hit that shot? Clay could. KD could. I don't want it just to be Wiggins and Oubre launching threes. They need to go to the basket. They need to just convert something, not just three-point shots, to make other teams stay honest. Or else Steph is going to get freaking exhausted trying to create for other people just to see other dudes clank three-pointers. So what I want to see from this team, uh, I know Draymond wasn't playing, is who's going to show their basketball smarts you know like Sean and KD and Andre those were some of the smartest dudes you'd ever see on the basketball court does Ubre have that in him does Wanamaker have that does Pascal have that that savviness um, that comes with experience that comes with getting chemistry with the team that's what I'm looking for the guys who will make the smart play I mean <laughs> honestly like uh, the Halliburton types the ones that'll know exactly what to do at the right time, make the right basketball play. Speaking of which, I'm on uh, Nico Mannion Island. I am full-on staking my claim. I'm buying on the cheap on Mannion Island. I think that there's obvious things. He's not 6'3". Apparently, he's listed at 6'2". He doesn't have the widest wingspan, and he's not the quickest. But I like what I've seen from the guy so far. Some people say he's slow, okay, but I'm not saying that he's going to contribute now to the season in the playoffs or whatever, but I think he's worth keeping and developing. Of course, they've signed him to a two-way, and once the G League starts, I hope he can get in there, and really, honestly, he should he should dominate. When he gets on the court, he doesn't look scared. He looks really confident. He looks like he wants to take on the challenge. He didn't back down from De'Aaron Fox, who is Light years quicker (laughs) than he is. But Nico Mannion looks like he knows how to run an offense. He looks like an actual point guard, not just like some guy who knows how to bring the ball up the court. He seems to make the right basketball play. You know, he was on a couple breaks and he passed to the right guy. I personally wanted to see him throw it down, but he's definitely one of those guys that bigger dudes see as a huge SWAT opportunity that they just want to go block him. And that's why he can dish dimes to other guys uh, running on the break with him. But I have faith in the kid. Uh, His shot wasn't going down. He hasn't been hitting many shots in these first two games. But, you know, he got his first two points on a floater. And I think he needs to shoot tons of floaters. I mean, he needs to basically pick up the best parts of Steph's game. He will obviously never be Steph Curry, but he needs to pick up the tricks of the trade that allow Steph to score while not being the most athletic himself. Floaters, hezzies, whatever it takes to get to the basket or to get another guy open. That's where I think his value and his reasoning for turning down other teams to come to the Warriors makes the most sense. Because it's not like Steph is the best defender. He puts in the effort. He's smart. He's He picks and chooses his spots. And that's what is going to have to do. I don't know. I just like the kid's demeanor on the court. And it seems like both him and Wiseman see the opportunity that they have of being with this championship organization that has these vets and this coaching staff and this front office. And they see an opportunity to really make the most of it and really to be good NBA players, great NBA players, whatever. Now the center position, earlier I thought that with James Wiseman being out with COVID that Marquise Chris and Kevon Looney would really solidify their hold on the depth chart for center. But I mean, you just watch them play against Whiteside, Bagley, guys who are either bigger or more athletic. I mean, Kevon Looney just looks like he's, you know, even more groundbound than before. Great player, does all the right things, but, you know, he obviously has those limitations. You just see those guys and you're like, okay, they really, really need like a big body. <laughs> and that one clip that went around of Wiseman's first practice with the Warriors, you know, I'm sure they just cherry picked the best stuff. But what I love about that is that he is athletic. Uh, he runs like a dude who is not seven. Tall. That is not seven one. He doesn't run upright like a big stiff. He like, he gets low when he runs. And he runs like a guy who's six, 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 eight, you know what I mean? So that's really encouraging. I mean, when you look at his old highlights, sometimes you forget he's seven feet tall. And hopefully that translates like there was the one clip of him getting the loose ball. And just taking off. He just starts dribbling. He doesn't grab it with two hands or panic or look around for a point guard to pass to. He just, the ball's loose and he just starts pushing it up the court. So he seems like a smart kid. He seems like somebody who is not going to try to do too much. And he seems like somebody who can catch a pass. Sometimes you get these big dudes who have like hands of stone who you throw them like a a, a, a no look pass while they're cutting down the lane and it like just hits them in the face or something. I don't know if Wiseman's going to play in the final preseason game. There had been hope of that, but they're leaving it open as to whether he will not. If he does, I would love to see him play against Whiteside. I would love to see what he could do against Bagley. Whiteside, of course, someone who's bigger than him, a vet, Uh, but Wiseman is quicker. And Bagley, someone who is not that much older, right? Can he dominate Bagley? We shall see. Otherwise, if he doesn't play against the Kings, then he will have his debut, I guess, against either Jared Allen or DeAndre Jordan. Not bad. And one final thought, randomly. Apparently, John Wall looks pretty good out there playing for the Rockets, and so does Kevin Durant playing for the Nets. I didn't really see too many highlights of either, didn't get a chance, but I just got to say that's that's encouraging, right? That's got to be encouraging for Clay Thompson. I know Clay will be facing the double whammy of coming back from the Achilles and the ACL, although I guess the ACL was healed, but you look at KD, you look at Wall, KD's game is built on I mean a lot of things, he's really versatile, but His shooting, getting to his spots. Wall's game is based on athleticism. So somewhere that kind of runs the spectrum of things that Clay will need when he comes back from his Achilles. So I don't know. I know I'm getting ahead of myself here, but I'm looking for any sign that Clay is going to be more than just a spot up shooter when he comes back. I don't want him to be Kyle Korver just yet. He has like five or six years until he just becomes that guy. Okay, well, maybe like three or four. I don't know, but not right away. So fingers crossed. I'm always gonna be. I'm gonna be tracking those guys and Demarcus Cousins too, because he also tore his Achilles and he tore his ACL. Obviously, a different position, different game. But can those three guys look close to what they were before? And one final, final, final thing. Um, in our last episode, Vubang and I talked about our memories of. Andrew Bogut, the recently retired center from the early days of the Warriors dynasty, a player that really took the team and transformed it into a team that could actually play defense. Uh, he was like somebody that the Warriors never had before. They never had a center that was any good. But uh, <laughs> just one memory: like uh, whenever I see Grant Hill, I just remember after I think the Warriors' first title in 2015. They were doing an on-court interview with NBA TV, and they were all, you know, set up there. They were interviewing Andrew Bogut, and Andrew Bogut called Grant Hill Steve. And I'm pretty sure he thought he was Steve Smith. And Grant Hill's reaction was kind of just like he kind of took it in stride like a pro and and laughed it off or kind of chuckled to himself. But I always thought that was one of the oddest things I'd ever seen. I mean, how do you not know Grant Hill? Uh, but anyway uh, that's, that's what makes Bogut Bogut that's all I got thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Oakland Warriors podcast feel free to hit me up at Patrick E. Pino, E-P-I-N-O on Twitter if you got something to say and be sure to check out our website OaklandWarriors.com please uh, feel free to rate us say something nice and I will check you out on the other side music in this episode provided by paper sun special thanks to paul amardo for production support see you next time and go dubs